Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Larry Guthrie, Director of Communications for ACG Global, and I'm here with Katie Mulligan, the editor of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Katie, who'd you talk to for this week's podcast? Hey, Larry, I spoke with Mark Yusko, the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Morgan Creek Capital Management. We talked earlier this month at ACG Raleigh-Durham's Capital Conference, where Mark gave the keynote address. The whole event was themed around the crypto economy, which is an area that Mark is really involved in. So during our interview, which we did right after his speech, I asked him about whether cryptocurrencies are here to stay or just a fad and how he views investing in these technologies when there's really still so much ambiguity from a regulation standpoint. And then we also talked a little bit about what he's reading these days, as well as the timelessness of Calvin and Hobbes. (laughs) Indeed. Timelessness, indeed. So for those that are uh, Twitter users, I hear he is the one to follow. If you're looking to keep up on blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, Mark is a good bet on that. So uh, a good Twitter follow there. Absolutely. He's really active on Twitter and he has a lot of really interesting things to say. So if this is a space that you follow or are interested in learning more about, I would definitely recommend following him. His handle is at Mark Yusko. Blockchain and cryptocurrencies are certainly timely topics. I mean, given the recent valuation swings. So it's great that you were able to get Mark on the podcast. With that, here is Katie speaking with Mark Yusko. I am here with Mark Yusko, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Morgan Creek Capital Management. We are on site at ACG Raleigh-Durham's Capital Conference, where Mark just gave the keynote address. Mark, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me in this morning. Uh, Your firm has been in the news recently following its acquisition of Full Tilt Capital. Can you describe what Full Tilt does and why Morgan Creek decided to buy it? Yep, so it's a great story. So uh, Anthony Pompliano and Jason Williams put together this really interesting early stage investing fund where they were focusing on kind of digital innovation. And uh, they were going to raise a second fund uh, along the the Full Tilt uh, mantra and uh, you know, going fast and, and uh, making big moves. And we're gonna dedicate the new fund to crypto. And I got to meet Anthony over the last uh, few months and we got talking and we realized that uh, we brought at Morgan Creek some relationships in the institutional world and some ideas related to traditional investing that if we merge the two, we might be able to make the transition happen faster, get bigger faster, and, and use a synergistic approach of, of their expertise in cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology and our knowledge of and access to capital in the traditional world to raise a big fund dedicated to uh, blockchain technology. And as part of that acquisition, Morgan Creek is reportedly raising a $500 million fund to focus solely on blockchain. What type of investments will you be looking to make? Yep. So if you think about blockchain technology, there are really three areas that people focus on. One is cryptocurrencies themselves, Bitcoin and Ethereum and others. And then there are uh, ICOs, so utility tokens, you know, things where like mileage for mile or awards programs for um, airlines or, you know, betting sites. Uh, and those are ICOs or really crowdsourcing combination with an IPO and you, you do a non-digital security and you raise money just like an IPO. The last area that, that's developing now is what's called security tokens, which is taking real assets and putting them on the blockchain, but actually registering as securities. And the reason you would do that is we're moving from the ownership age of paper 
through electronic ownership to true digital ownership. Mm -hmm. And security tokens is how we're going to do that. So we're going to focus on that security token area. And how does this fit into Morgan Creek's overall investment strategy? And is this a departure from your approach in the past? So Morgan Creek was formed in 2004 when uh, I was bringing this endowment model of investing um, to the, the masses, so to individuals, to smaller institutions that didn't have staff, came out of the University of North Carolina. That endowment model really was all about embracing alternative investments, things like private equity, hedge funds, that back in the early 2000s were still a little bit scary. You know, people didn't have knowledge of or access to talent in those areas. And over the years, we've tried to be opportunistic in looking at new technology, new asset classes, and uh, what happened in the internet, really from you know, the late 90s through kind of 2010, uh, was this massive increase in access to information and e-commerce. And the same thing is starting to happen with blockchain technology and what we refer to as the internet of value. Mm -hmm. So we do see this as not a departure from what we've done historically, but really an acceleration and a focus and a concentration on what we think is one of the biggest technological evolutions and, and ultimately revolutions of our time. And what has investor interest looked like for this type of fund? Yeah, you know, we're just starting, literally, we just announced a couple weeks ago, we're just putting documents together, uh, but we have had some nice uh, inbound calls from people who are, who are interested in learning more. And, and I think people look at this area and they know they need to do something. Right. They've heard people talking about Bitcoin or blockchain or Ethereum or you know, security tokens or somebody did an ICO and they're like, what is it? What is it? And you're having a great conference today about that, which is fantastic, mm -hmm. educating uh, all the middle market groups. So I think what we're seeing is growing interest and I call it the great wall of money. Right? There's this great wall of institutional money that doesn't really know how to get from where they want to be okay, from where they are, or get to where they want to be from where they are. And that's going to take institutions like ours to bring that institutional mindset, that trusted partner uh, with the energy of the full tilt guys to bring them a, a solution. And there's been a lot of speculation, including on this podcast, that cryptocurrencies are a fad. They're the Wild West. It's yep. a Dutch tulip-like phenomenon. How would you respond to that criticism of the technology? You know, it's really interesting, and I said it in my talk this morning, is that I haven't met anyone who didn't start skeptical, but anyone who's spent time, I mean real focused time meeting people, doing diligence, doing research, who hasn't come away more excited. And when I see some of the smartest people in the world, literally in, in my world, in the financial world, uh, leaving big jobs at firms like Goldman Sachs and Fortress and Morgan Stanley and coming into or JP Morgan, the woman who was running all of blockchain for JP Morgan just announced her departure. When those level people start moving toward a technology, it's not a fad. And when people use terms like you know, tulips or Ponzi scheme or fad, it just means they haven't done the work. Hmm. And they're reacting emotionally to the fact of the same thing that happened, think about when the horseless carriage was introduced. The street sweeper said, we don't need that dangerous thing and people could die and, and look at, at uh, the impact on the environment. And what are they really afraid of? Losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. But turns out sweeping horse manure is not really a pleasant job. 
and there were new jobs created. And every innovation cycle this happens. The people are being disrupted, right? You hear the people call it a fad or a fraud or a Ponzi. Who are they? Bankers, okay? People in the securities business, venture capitalists, who are all being disrupted by this new technology that removes the need for a trust institution in doing transactions, right? If I wanna transfer value to you, we don't need a bank. Mm -hmm. I can transfer value to you, it's on the chain, immutable, perfect, in perpetuity. And so people like Jamie Dimon, yeah, it's a fraud. Okay, but the next day, JP Morgan was the largest buyer of Bitcoin in the world. Okay, maybe that's a little disingenuous. So I think when people talk about it being a fad, it just means they haven't spent enough time. Doesn't mean that they won't spend time, but I said, everyone that I've met who has spent the time, I mean, I went five years ago spending 1% of my time, today probably 40% of my time. And the more I dig in, the more smart people I meet, the more excited I get. And I think you gave a stat during your talk that, what was it, 7% of people are educated in this area, so yes. how can it be a bubble? Yeah, I mean, 7% of people, according to KPMG, consider themselves very familiar with this technology. So we're far from a bubble. Uh, look, we're gonna have a crash. You know, we haven't had a crash. Because, oh, but Bitcoin's down 70%. It's been down 70% lots of times. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in new currencies. If you go back to the early days of the dollar or the early days of the renminbi or the early days of, you know, the Portuguese, I don't even know what the currency was called back when it was the world reserve currency. Sure. Think about that. You know, people think the dollar's, no, it hasn't. The dollar's only been the best currency in the world since 1944. There were a whole period of time for 100 plus years where the pound sterling was the world reserve currency. It was the most powerful currency in the world. There was a time I told, I talked about in the talk where you know, the Roman solidus, mm -hmm. which is a copper coin, was the most powerful currency in the world. Now you can buy one as a trinket in Rome for a dollar. And the Securities and Exchange Commission has been looking really closely at cryptocurrencies. How do you capitalize on what seems to be a huge market opportunity, but while also navigating these regulatory risks? You partner with them, right? I mean, the SEC does a great job. They're, they're an important regulatory body. And I think, actually, for all the criticism they take, they've been very thoughtful and very progressive on cryptocurrency and blockchain. Hmm. They've said, look, most of these things are not securities. But the ones that are, we're gonna go after them. And people who are trying to skirt security regulations to capitalize on innocent victims, no different than penny stock scams. You know, anywhere where there's money, they're gonna be bad people. Mm -hmm. It's just fact of life, right? Whether you go to a marketplace or whether you go into you know, the aluminum siding salesman from the 50s when our parents were growing up, I mean, bad people find ways to exploit. Now we got telemarketers and then they block those and so now they find a way to give us spam on our cell phones or the African you know, email that we all get. Yes, so the there's Nigerian always prince. Nigerian <laughs> prince, right? There's always scams going on and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So the SEC has got a very challenging job is they have to keep up with the innovation, which is real. I mean, blockchain technology is a revolutionary technology, but they also have to be thoughtful about, they only have so many resources and they've got their legacy challenges, plus they've got the new challenges. And I think what they're doing is actually very intelligent to say, we're gonna focus on making it easier for people who comply with security regulations, right, like security tokens, to gain bigger market share. And we're gonna make it hard for the scammers to get around securities law by just saying every ICO is not a security, because that's not true. And so when it comes to crypto, they said, we have no jurisdiction. 
which is exactly right, because mm -hmm. they have no jurisdiction over dollars or rubles or any other currency. So they're doing exactly what they should do. When it's a security, that's where we're gonna focus our time. When it's not, we're gonna let people run with it. And you've said that all assets of value are ultimately going to be tokenized and that this is a durable trend that we should all pay, be paying attention to. That Can sounds way better that? when you say it than when <laughs> I say it. That was great. Yeah, look, um, if you think about ownership, you know, in the early days, ownership was my gun was bigger than your gun. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about being a settler, being a sooner. You know, you ran across the line early, you know, before they released and you, you staked your claim. Well, there were no legal documents. There were no paper currencies, right? You sat on your porch with a gun and anyone came on your property, you shot them mm -hmm. until someone with more guns came and you know jumped your claim. Or when the gold miners were doing the gold, you could choose, you could be a gold miner and when you got your gold, you had to worry about someone jumping your claim, right? Knocking you on the head and taking your stuff because you didn't have a security that said that was your gold. Mm -hmm. you, know, you didn't have your name inscribed on it. And then we went to paper securitization so we have paper stock certificates and bearer bonds. And you know, if you, in the old days, you know, they called a coupon payment. Mm -hmm. It's because you literally tore off a coupon and you handed it to the bank and they paid you money, right? Tore it off, handed it to them, it was a coupon, sure. okay? Now the bonds and the stocks are QCIPs, they're electronic. So we went from the paper ownership to electronic ownership, but the electronic ownership isn't ownership, like that QCIP doesn't say that you own it, it just says that you own this paper security that's held somewhere um, in a vault somewhere. Now, what we're doing now with digital ownership is if you and I agree on exchange of value, you're gonna take my asset and it's gonna then be registered on the chain in your name and you're gonna have true digital ownership through a security token that then, let's say I own this hotel and I want to sell it, so I issue the M token for Marriott, and I have the M token, or Mark, and we're gonna have the M token, and you want to own 1% share, right? You could actually buy 1% of the M tokens. It would go into your account. You would have digital ownership of that asset, of that token, and this real asset, this thing, would now be tokenized. Mm -hmm. And if you think of everything of value, from hotels, to oil and gas rights, to stock certificates. Now I'm not that interested in owning Apple shares in a token because there won't be much difference in value because it's a very liquid market. What I wanna capitalize is, if you think about illiquid assets, why do they have a value that's different in terms of return to the investor? It's because they're illiquid, right? If you own shares of this hotel today, you can't turn that into cash to spend. You have to find a buyer and you know, you'd know you have to take a discount on those shares if you actually want to sell today. Like I say, you know, what's your house worth? People say, I don't know, $500,000. Well, how about if you had to sell it tomorrow? Oh, I could never do that. Of course you could. I'll pay you 50 cents on the dollar right now. Mm -hmm. There's always a price at which that liquidity matches up. Now, if you had a year to sell your house, you get somewhere near 500,000, maybe even more. But if you had to sell by tomorrow, you wouldn't get that. So that illiquidity or liquidity premium can be captured in a tokenized world. Think about all the money in foreign countries where people have made a lot of money and they're worried that the government's gonna steal their money. What if they could own shares of the M token and own a piece of this hotel? Hmm. A US-based asset 
no capital controls because it's in the blockchain world, not in a securities world where it's regulated to cross borders and where the Rothschild family made sure that two banks make sure that they're involved. So there's really interesting things that can be done as we move from securities to tokens. And how far out are we from a fully tokenized world? Ah, I mean, who knows? I mean, what's interesting thing about all evolutions and revolutions is they always take longer than the early adopters think, but it's shorter than the doubters think. Hmm. So, you know, is it a decade out? Is it five years out? I don't know. I know that, you know, we announced a couple weeks ago, and we thought we were making this crazy announcement saying we're going after half a billion dollars. And then yesterday, China said they're raising 1.6 billion to do the same thing. I'm like, really? You had to one-up me two weeks later? Right, they still I mean, give me a few weeks to be happy. You know, maybe raise a little money. So it's amazing. 2018 is the year of the dog in the Chinese calendar, but on Twitter, where you're very active and in recent webinars, you've referred to it instead as the year of the frog. frog. Can you talk about what that Absolutely. That Look, you know, the year of the dog um, is, is, a, is a great year, you know, for all the, the Chinese zodiac aficionados, of which I am one, and uh, some interesting things happen in, in those years. Um, but the year of the frog is a play on words that I think the capital markets, particularly the equity markets, particularly the U.S. equity markets, are really, really overvalued. Mm. And that what's been happening is like a frog that's being boiled, is if you drop a frog in really hot water, it just jumps out. If you put him in cold water and then slowly turn up the heat, he stays in, and when he finally figures out it's so hot he wants to jump out, his muscles don't work anymore, mm. and he gets boiled. And so I think that's how investors have lost their, um, they put, let down their guard. Sure. And we've had this, you know, since 09, this everyday up market uh, with QE and all the liquidity around the world. And so what's happened is the frogs, the army of frogs, I didn't know a group of frogs called an army until I looked it up. Hmm. Um, but the army of frogs, U.S. investors, is just so complacent in that, oh, I'll just buy the dip. Every time the market goes down, if I buy the dip, I win. And I think this is the year where the water has reached boiling temperature and you're about to get boiled. And you can actually see it taking my science training. So from frog dissection in, in biology to, to chemistry, if you think about um, volatility, volatility in markets tends to increase at phase shifts, either from a downtrend turning up or an uptrend turning down. And it's very similar to water. So water molecules, normally steady state, don't move very much. Like the last year in the market, right? No volatility, market just went up, water. But when you start to get close to a phase shift from water to steam or ice, the molecules start vibrating really fast. Mm -hmm. And so last year we had eight days with more than a 1% move. This year we've had dozens of days with more than 1% move and lots of multi-percent moves. And so we're on pace to have the same like volatility as 2000 and 2008, which were interesting phase shifts in markets. So I think it's time for the frogs to jump out of the water while you still can before the muscles are fully you know, congealed and, and you end up boiled and we have frog soup. One final question that we like to ask all our podcast guests, what are you reading? What's something that, that you've been you uh, know, digging into that's changed your thinking or... It's a great question, and, and I wish I read more, one for fun, and also for um, 
you know, for, for things beyond what I'd read for work. I mean, I read so much for work and it's, you know, I, I like to read the, the typical suspects for the hedge fund industry and the private in equity industry. And there are a lot of uh, research groups, 13D and others that I really love, but I do think there's, there's other things that, that I should be spending time on. Um, I always joke, my wife reads more in a month than I've read my whole life. And she reads all these great things and I just ask her what, what they said and that actually saves me time. Gives you the cliff but, notes. Yeah, cliff notes. But um, I, I have gone back to a couple of my favorite books recently, one called The Dow Jones Averages, and Dow is T-A-O, and it's a merging of Chinese philosophy and investing. And, and what it talks about is most of us, particularly guys, um, tend to be very right-handed, very left-brained, hmm. very analytical. That doesn't mean women aren't that either, but women use more of their right brain, their intuition. It's called women's intuition for a reason. Sure. And so what a whole-brained person is, someone who balances both sides of their brain, uses both the analytical left brain and the creative, the intuitive right brain. And the book at the very beginning says, dedicated to those who have the guts to trust their gut. Hmm. And investing, particularly at a time like now, where we're about to make this huge jump into this new era, the you know internet of value, uh, or the internet of money is you have to go with your gut. If you think too long, you'll get paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, well, what happens if this happens? Or what happens if the SEC comes in and clamps down? Or what if China bans crypto? Well, if you use your brain only and don't actually think about, well, how does it feel right now? Does it feel like there's excitement when I talk to people about cryptocurrencies? Yes. Does it? Do I get excitement when I talk to founders who are working on these projects to bring digital ownership to the masses. Yes, that's when I should use that balance of left brain and right brain. Because if you're always using your left brain and you're always being analytical, it's like driving a car, looking in the rear view mirror, you come to the curve and you fly off, hmm. right? You gotta look out the front of the window. And there's a, a group called uh, Inferential Focus where the guy who wrote the Dow Jones Averages uh, founded, uh, he unfortunately passed away far too young. But they do studies, they read all the technical trade journals, and then they summarize for clients where we're headed. Not where we've been, but where we're headed. And one of the things they talked about is there was a time many years ago where there was a, a rash of airline crashes, and they're particularly prevalent in Korea. Mm. And you're like, well, why is that? And they studied it, and what it was, it's called controlled flight into terrain. And what was happening is they were all trained very technically to look at the uh, instruments on the, the dash. And when the, the co-pilot would actually look up from the dash for a minute and look out the window and see a mountain, he was so deferent to the captain in the Korean culture, he wouldn't say anything. Hmm. And so every once in a while, we gotta stop looking at the numbers and look out the window. And look what's ahead of us, or we, we're gonna hit that mountain. So I think today is one of those times where the more you can read about, about scientific method and biological systems, you know, how viruses work, that's, that's what viral means, right? Mm -hmm. That's how things, you know, people, why is Bitcoin successful? Because it is, right? The miracle of Bitcoin was that it went from zero to $100. 100 to 1,000, easy. 1,000 to 10,000, easy. 10,000 to a million, easy. The zero to 100 was the miracle. That's when it started to go viral. That's when the, the cell replication started to exceed the cell death hmm. because people started to become interested. 
you know, when it comes to tokenization, the first one is going to be the catalyst of that transaction. I mean, of that uh, uh, reaction. And I always talk about the rate limiting factor. Right? right now, the rate limiting factor is quality people who are willing to leave good, safe, stable jobs and go play in this new area. Just like venture capital 70 years ago when no one was a venture capitalist. That was risky. Well, now venture capital is a very sought after profession. So all of these things kind of come together. And, and so, you know, there's a book called uh, Investing the Last Liberal Art. And I love that because it goes to this. It's really not about the numbers. It's really not about, about the uh, formula. It's about, you know, understanding history. You know, Winston Churchill said, the further back I look, the further forward I can see. That's really important because history repeats. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new, right? All the you know, self-help books on leadership all go back to the early Greek and Roman philosophers. I mean, you can read Seneca and get the same thing that Maxwell is charging you $25 for a book. Yeah, right. And it's not, nothing against Maxwell because he's you know, reinvigorated or Tony Robbins or any of these gurus, but it all goes back to the like same standing thing. Standing on the shoulders kind yeah, of. Yeah, standing on the shoulders of giants, mm -hmm. exactly. And so... Um, that's a long revolving answer to your question is I don't read enough. I should read more for fun. Um, and uh, I do have a seven-year-old, so I have been reading a lot of Calvin and Hobbes. Okay. And Calvin is a genius. He is a genius. And there's so much stuff in that for adults that is so cool to go back because I have older kids and then the, the blessing of 20 years later, my wife and I, um, same wife, have, have another kid. And um, reading him, Calvin Hobbes, every day is, is making me smarter. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Mark, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store where you can listen to the past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. After you've rated the show, Head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.